Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about Space 1999. Who I'm are your you? Host, Mark Malik 1999. This is Matt Commons 1999. What were you doing on September 13th, 1999? Playing the Dreamcast. That okay, that sounds about right. No, I'm actually that's put... false. I was not that rich. I couldn't afford a Dreamcast until the February of the following year. Oh, okay. I'd say I I I accepted that straight away. What was I okay? Well, I know what I was might doing as well. You know, you might have been with me because that's right about the time I was moving into that uh, hip Athens, Georgia apartment that I had for that year and a half in university. So the one I moved, threw up outside many times. Probably, yeah. <laughs> inside, possibly. Uh, not inside. That was the Japanese apartment. <laughs> oh um, yeah, your modular bathroom. It's cool. We could hose it off. Yeah, I, honestly. Know. I, I did honestly it might have been a few weeks after we had you helped me move in that spot but that's when the moon blasted out of orbit because uh yes we are we are diving into breakaway the first episode of space 1999 didn't hit the news that day for us but that's okay um i guess i kind of dragged you into this one i just like assumed this is your jam so uh, i've barely ever seen this right right that looks great it, it is great um history wise uh we are coming off of imprisoned in prison an other prisoner prison cast we we finished it uh in my timeline i had watched that and gravitated next to space 1999 i don't know if it's a lou grade like instinct or something but i uh even as we're starting this podcast i'm really only familiar with the first season the second season is notorious i am looking forward to watching it i think i'm gonna like or at least like talking about it but uh yeah season one is uh good stuff i think so i believe this kind of sits next to the prisoner as most expensive series like i I, there probably is something in between but i think the prisoner was the most expensive series well ufos between but maybe that wasn't so yeah ufo may have been more expensive than the prisoner but we're not doing a ufo series Right, at least not yet. Uh, not yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it it's an interesting spot. Um, I I mostly watch this in a vacuum. Doing this podcast is where I, I guess we're going to start like engaging a little more with you know eagle heads. I don't even know if that's a name for a fan of the show, but I've decided it is uh, an eagle. I think head, those so. are thunderbirds. No, those would be thunderheads, right? Okay. Okay. Anyway, maybe we'll maybe we'll get jamie anderson on ask him so <laughs> some eagle heads are already mighty miffed at me right but that uh for for those who are tuning in that's kind of my theory on a podcast that if you're really going to delve on a show you probably should not you should be a fan but not a super fan you know what i'm saying like there's i usually if i'm going to give a podcast a shot i will listen to an episode on something that i know about and if it doesn't infuriate me completely to listen to people talk about the thing and mess up a bunch of details, then I'll probably like the rest of the podcast. 
Okay. Well, I guess we'll do this one trial by fire then. And um, you apparently have like a tome of trivia for breakaway. Yes, let's break away from the rational world and immerse ourselves in the anti-gravity of multiple trivias. Dozo. Jerry Anderson began his career as a photographer during World War II. After several near-death experiences involving aircraft, he finished off his military career and transitioned to a career in film and TV production starting in 1957, working on productions such as You've Never Seen This, Torchy the Battery Boy, and Four Feather Falls. I have seen production, that. <laughs> during the production of The Adventures of Twizzle, he began an affair with a woman named Sylvia Tham, who was working at Polytechnic Films as an office assistant. By 1960, they had both left their respective marriages, his first, her second, and married each other. They then worked as a husband and wife production team, creating shows such as Supercar, Fireball XL5, and most importantly, Thunderbirds. Sylvia created all the characters for Thunderbirds and voiced Lady Penelope herself, and the show was a crossover hit even across the pond in the U.S. In 1969, Jerry and Sylvia co-created a sci-fi show called UFO about the covert efforts of an organization called Shadow. That's with no W. That stands for Supreme Headquarters Alien Defense Organization. To prevent an alien invasion. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't worded right. The okay. <laughs> Shadow was trying to prevent an alien invasion. This was the first show they produced that used live action instead of marionettes. That's right. Every show I mentioned before that used marionettes. Super marionettes. Super marionettes. Was it like Muppets? They had just named them super marionettes? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Because uh, their Eagle faces heads. could move some. Are you pissed at me, Eagleheads? Are you here, here for my marionette misunderstandings? In 1972, after UFO was syndicated in the U.S. had a generally favorable ratings, a second UFO series was proposed by ITC head Lou Grade. You might remember Lou Grade from everything about The Prisoner. Uh, Grade had one stipulation about the series. It had to be primarily set on the moon because the ratings indicated that the moon-centric episodes of UFO had been the most popular. The Andersons proposed a series called UFO 1999 with the forces of Shadow fighting aliens from their new moon base facility 20 years in the future in 1999. However, towards the run... Towards the end of the run of UFO, the series ratings began to drop in both the U.S. and the U.K., making ITC executives nervous about funding a, an expensive new series, and support for the second series collapsed. Jerry Anderson then approached Lou Grade's number two, Abe Mandel, proposing taking the development done for UFO 1999 to a new series. Mandel was interested, but he forbade any Earthbound settings. Anderson responding, saying that in the series opener, he would blow up the Earth. When Mandel suggested that might be off-putting to viewers, Anderson suggested that instead he would blow up the moon. The series was reworked into a premise with a commander controlling the forces of WANDER. That's another acronym that I do not know the meaning of. They probably uh, from never a decided. <laughs> from a defense base on the moon. We could just make our own meaning up. Oh, wonderful, also... Astro. Never... Wonderful Astro. Astro. Nimrod. Nimrod, destruction, Earth, run away. Redo, because they didn't <laughs> redo. do it. Yes, redo. <laughs> okay, there we okay. worked it out. Uh, they were, it was about a, a commander controlling the forces of Wander from a defense base on the moon, defending humanity against aliens. 
Sounds familiar, right? Uh, at the end of the opening episode, the aliens reduce the moon's gravity to zero and then send it into space. Uh, the concept was gradually reworked into what you see today, taking much more inspiration and concept and appearance from Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. After trying out titles such as Journey in Space, Menace in Space, and Space Invaders, they settled on Space 1999. Lou Grade was interested in the sale to the U.S. for syndication, so he insisted the series employ American writers and directors and that it would have American leads. The leads turned out to be another married couple, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. Today, September 13th, is her birthday. Uh, they were both popular TV stars in the Americas after three years together on Mission Impossible. Landau and Bain star as John Koenig and Helena Russell. They would remain married until 1993. Their last on-screen collaboration was 1981's The Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island. Classic. The Andersons... <laughs> did not have as much luck with their marriage however it would break down during the production of space 1999 and jerry announced his intention to separate on the evening of the season one rap party after that sylvia would no longer be involved with the production company or the series uh, our pilot today breakaway is directed by lee h katzen an american director who started directing in the 1960s and mostly worked on made for tv movies and tv episodes he would let her he would later direct Death Ray 2000. That's right, Death Ray 2000. Sequel of Space 1999. Comes a year later. Yes, Death Ray, not Death Race. Different, different thing. Uh, I got the it Eagle right. and the Bear. The Eagle and the Bear, and two episodes of The Bastard. He'll be back to direct one more episode of Space 1999 in season one. The script is written by the Andersons, along with George Belek. He was a screenwriter who mostly worked in TV and would later write TV movies like Medical Story and Alien Attack, which is a Space 1999 movie that I was not aware of until I did this trivia. Uh, he only worked as a writer until the early 1980s, and this is his only Space 1999 credit aside from Alien Attack. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same thing. Uh, we're learning as we go. Uh, Lon Satin guesses Benjamin Uma. Uma? He can be seen in the whom. He can also be seen in the Human Duplicators and Hello Goodbye. That's hyphenated. Uh, you can also catch him in the movie Alien Attack as the same character. Eric Cart is a British actor born 1946, and he's here playing the role of Eddie Collins. He later appeared in productions such as MIT. Murder Investigation Team and Bugs. Is that an acronym? He will. No. He will also oh. appear in Alien Attack, same character. Finally, we have Philip Maddock as Commander Gorski. Yes, he will be back for Alien Attack 2 as the same character. And also be back for Porridge, Jackanory, and Orrible. It's an horrible movie. Orrible. It could be. I guess you're finished. Are you finished? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's the end of my horrible trivia. Horrible Ivia. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to drop the T. Um, yeah. I can hurt whatever I want. I got a mosquito bite during your trivia. That's what happened. Well, that'll happen during long periods. Right. Okay. I have a story for you. Here okay. we go. A little summary for Breakaway. On September 9th, 1999, a routine inspection of nuclear waste site 2 on the far side of the moon goes weird. 
One of the astronauts goes berserk, then comatose. Moonbase Alpha's chief medical officer, Dr. Helena Russell, finds no trace of radiation to cause this, but focused brain damage caused by a sudden malignant tumor. She's been researching this, as this is not the first occurrence of this kind of space madness. Moonbase Commander Gorski has been censoring this information, but he is being replaced by Commander John Koenig, sent to the moon base to ensure the launch of the Meta Probe. Meta is a planet passing through the solar system and is mankind's first chance to land on a possibly habitable world. Koenig takes a crew to check the way site himself before the launch. The astronauts are able to check the way site incident-free, but the Eagle pilot at the way site's command center is affected by brain damage and depressurizes the entire control room, the crew barely making it out. Turns out waste site number one is a beacon on the way to waste site number two, and it turns out it has been spewing out a previously undetected form of magnetic radiation, which has been cumulatively wearing down the moon's eagle pilots. And it's now wearing down the site itself as it erupts in an electromagnetic firestorm. Koenig orders all the eagles to spread out the nuclear waste at waste site two before the same happens there, but it is too late. On September 13th, the magnetic radiation ignites the area, and a series of catastrophic explosions turns the moon into a rocket blasting out of Earth orbit. The moon base picks up the pieces after several sustained minutes of uh, high G-forces, as and they catch the last bits of static from Earth broadcasts. Koenig decides that their only option is not to go home, but to take the moon itself to Meta in hopes of a new home. Summary complete. Wow, I really was triggered the amount of time this, that they said Meta in this episode. Yeah, really. <laughs> Watching it here and now, like Meta, Meta. It's like, at least they didn't say Metaverse. Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, I think Meta is from the Metaverse. Oh, God, I don't want to think about it. I just, yeah, yeah. I was just like starting to just try and just tune it out when they said the name of it. It's like, just, just think alien world. It's alien world. There you go. Does that, does that, does that calm you down? Are you calm? Planet now? X. I That's feel cool. better about it being planet X. How about Nibiru? Yeah. Nibiru too. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, melancholia. Ooh. Yeah. That makes more sense. Cause Nibiru and planet X are, um, affiliated with the solar system where meta is just oh sorry i said it again whereas this planet is just passing through <laughs> well it's like a planet is just passing through that's pretty frightening isn't it it's like there's nothing comforting about that they have rogue planets right do we do we just have planets just show up yeah there's I mean, the idea of of rogue planets just drifting between solar systems exactly that's why i said that was probably more like the uh you know the thing that makes sense so that's comforting that's melancholic okay um i don't think i it's terrifying <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most the only thing that's not terrifying about melancholia is the fact that when it hits earth then you're rid of all the terrible lars von trier characters <laughs> so it's a happy ending is what you're saying yes i consider that a happy ending actually okay is this a happy ending with the moon blasting out of earth orbit no. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that a little later, but um I, I feel like now that we're having a look at the series, we should just like go at it with 
some of the design observations. Is is that a good place to start? Yes. It okay. reminds me of all the cool toys I got as a child in the early eighties, getting I mean, thrift store toys. You might have gotten an eagle then, if you know, late seventies, early eighties. You might have gotten an eagle and not even known it, you know. I certainly uh, had a few things where this the little it had like the cellophane screen with a set image <laughs> with the flash. Like remember uh what Dark Tower, that board game? That rings a bell, think, but I'm just thinking think, of the Stephen King book. Well, Orson Wells sold it. Oh, okay, that's cool. That's a plus. That pluses it up. Yeah. Like, yes, I fight the dragons and I emerge victorious. Now, when we talk about the Twilight Zone, sometimes like, well, it's being shown on real old school TVs and you wouldn't notice some of the uh, production details. Mm -hmm. Here, I was noticing like right away on the spacesuits, which are very cool, very cool spacesuits. They look a little bit like X-Wing flight suits, but um, very clear, you know, just like decals slapped on them. They're supposed to be controls, but they're clearly just decals. <laughs> I didn't really have a problem with suspension of disbelief. This is a great to me a great looking thing it's not everything looks cheap now so why can't it look cheap and the uh, cheap and alternate awesome. 1999 yeah I, I guess that's kind of what i'm getting at like i mean i loved it but i'm just like maybe watching it in too high quality is that is that something that the show might like um i watched it on youtube because it was uploaded by a user named full strength beer that's what i high watched. definition okay just, just um, to, for legal, here, here's a set. I have the set, but it was just more convenient that way. <laughs> I choose to uh, have full strength beer represent me in court. <laughs> he is, is my, that... he or she or they are my attorney. What is full strength beer? Thirteen percent? What, what, what makes it full? strength? I think that's when it's one hundred percent alcohol. You can't make beer that's one hundred percent alcohol. <laughs> Clearly, you're not a genius that can upload an entire series to YouTube because they know how to do it. Okay, that's cool. Um, so the Eagle is, I guess we should compare it to other ships of the time. The Enterprise is several years earlier, much bigger. But, you know, we're about to get um, X-Wings, uh, Battlestar Galactica Vipers, whatever they call those things on Buck Rogers. Uh, where do you rate the Eagle in the in 70s sci-fi ships? That's pretty high, man. I... I felt a couple of times I felt almost guilty feeling like this is such a luxury version of, of like Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, not Star Wars, Star Trek. It wasn't, I mean, I don't know. It's almost on par with Star Wars with how cool it looks. Well, I, I like, it feels like, I feel like I'm just, just eating, man. I feel like I'm just lapping it up. I'm just saying, design. especially with the, um, you know, the existential dread we'll be lapping up in season one in particular. Um, <laughs> like, I kind of feel like this play feels almost like, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture, the series, like a few years too early, which is ironic because Star Trek was trying to make phase two, which I guess would have been that sort of thing, but probably not that, as like ex existential dready. That's a good parallel because there is a lot of existential dread in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the suits... I think if if you cut the existential dread out, then people wouldn't complain about it being so long, and then it wouldn't be as good, in my opinion. Yeah, I I I feel like that movie is continuing to to climb the ranks of actually being a good movie, especially with the recent you know kind of um, retweaking of it. But I have not seen the retweak yet. Okay, but it's on the on the list. Uh, but yeah, these but uniforms. I, are I liked it hip. already. Yeah, these uniforms. I mean, as a transporter accident, I'm a big fan of transporter accidents. 
Oh, what 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 they got back didn't live long, man. Yeah, just like the fly. <laughs> Another classic transporter accident. I just the think uniforms that... are pretty similar though, because uh, pe- again, in the retweak that the. the the uniforms are more colorful in Star Trek the motion picture, but these are meant to be kind of drab from the get-go, right? There's a little bit, I was kind of like, maybe there should be some kind of uh, shoulder padding or chest support. Everybody just look a little bit like little doughy in those outfits. <laughs> yeah, Landau did have a bit of a paunch at this point, I suppose. I felt like everyone did, but maybe I just wasn't paying attention if anybody was like cut or anything. Okay. I mean, but, living on the moon, you get a little doughy, right? The gravity's lower. But it's one of those things where I only thought about it a couple of times because clearly I wasn't looking at everyone's like, <laughs> chest uh, muscles. Right. Um, just another bit of 70s design. I did notice in uh, Dr. Russell's office, she's got the visible man and the visible woman, which are plastic models that are um, transparent, and you can see all of the... Uh, the organs inside, which you can take apart and put back together. And we had one in my house. I remember playing with it a lot and tossing the intestines across the room and, and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yes, those are great. Uh, this feels a lot like the uh, headquarters and Buck Rogers pilot that we talked about some ages ago. Yeah. With, uh, with John I mean, Champion on your other podcast, which still exists, I think. Maybe. Uh, Oral I mean, hygiene. Podcast exists. No, it was something else. But uh, the feed exists. The feed what? exists. You could find that if you wanted. Okay. Um, a little bit of Trek. Uh, when when also in her office, she's got her thermographic plate showing the um head X rays, and I was like, wow, that that looks like proto L cars from Star Trek: The Next Generation. It like definitely had like I could see that being an L cars display without too much um imagination on my part. There are a few. There are a few nice touches. Like she has a monitor to to let Martin Lando into her quarters that's like a small TV on the end of a long stick. Which is it should have been more popular. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm there I there's got to be a really practical purpose for that, but I don't exactly know what it is. <laughs> like putting it on a shelf. You put it on a shelf. Yeah, I did like how they were like um for practical purposes. I liked how they were kind of oil checking the uh, radiation dump sites. Like they got a dipstick yeah, this... and stuff and then like a 70s electronic game to check it out, which I guess kind of <laughs> does look like some of the stuff they have when you get your oil changed uh, with, I... with less cool buttons. But yeah, I mean, at the beginning of this, I was like, they have two different nuclear dump sites for the moon. And then I realized later on, they explained that those are the nuclear dump sites for the entire Earth. And you realize, oh, all of Earth's nuclear waste is coming to the moon. Because this is before Three Mile Island or Chernobyl, definitely before Fukushima. So, you know, nuclear power still probably kind of seemed like the future. Um, I, mean, I mean, it honestly kind of seems like the future now. It just has. Oh, to yeah, we're getting back to it, aren't we? It just needs more oversight. Yeah. Because <clears throat> uh, what, what was the, um, not the Andromeda stream. What, what, is, what is the big nuclear disaster movie from the late 70s, which air came up? Manhattan with- Project? No, that's a different no. one. That's why we're breaking our brains here. Anyway, it, it basically depicted the Three Mile Island situation like slightly before Three Mile Island actually happened. So I, I, I guess it was in people's minds that maybe this isn't the greatest thing to do, which is also the premise of this episode. I mean, what is it? He's like, you need to stop the atomic waste shipments over here. Ah, oh, we can't possibly do that, you know? 
because Earth is that, so screwed. That was tragically realistic that people were like, wait, you know, we've got to cover this up so we keep getting our funding. Exactly. So, and, and Simmons, the, the, the commissioner of the space program, he's, he, how creepy did you think he was? He just seemed like a total creep. The bearded guy? Yeah. Very creep. I don't know. It's, the beard seemed like inappropriate somehow. It's he like came, it's, he, he like a Charles wearing, Manson. He had a he had a Manson vibe. I, it was like, it was like the way his facial hair was. He was supposed to be wearing a suit, but he wasn't wearing a suit. He was wearing like a regular outfit. Like, like there's some kind of thing where he should have had like an admiral outfit. Like he should have had a different. You, I guess we're all used to Star Trek where everybody has different ranks and stuff like that. Like he should have shown up wearing a different outfit than everyone else. I think that's what made it weird. But once he's there, you change the moon digs. But what in in the video before was he wearing? I think he was wearing something different in the, in the earlier video. Yeah, I just feel like we got to know him better once he actually showed up in person. But well, yeah, of course, and then learned that he's a a, a bit of a douche, right? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I was looking at. The thing I was thinking about was The Conqueror, which is that John Wayne movie where almost everyone got cancer who worked on it. That was misfits. 1956. Misfits. Misfits. Misfits? It, I think it's a Misfits. Are you misfits. sure? I'm, I, I feel confident I wouldn't have corrected you, but yeah. <laughs> Howard Hughes, produced by Howard Hughes, because um, he was playing Genghis Khan. Geng Genghis. Oh, right. okay. That is an earlier movie, because what I'm talking about is a Western, so um, I guess... There might, there might have been two John Wayne cancer movies. I don't... I mean, John Wayne maybe did he, die of cancer, so it makes maybe sense. He, maybe he, <laughs> maybe he shot everything he did next to nuclear testing site, and smoked a ton of cigarettes. So <laughs> it's amazing. It was yes, as old he as smoked. He was. <laughs> well, there is like there is a haunting picture of like him with his playing with his two or three boys, all of them with their shirts off, like like playing around on the set of his film. Yeah, yeah. So they they might probably got a dose of it, but uh, it also I mean, got a D golden turkey award. <laughs> um, actually, uh, Isaac Asimov was annoyed with this episode because he's like, "Okay, you put the nuclear race on the far side of the moon and it explodes. Doesn't that mean the moon should be crashing into Earth? Then we would have got what Jerry Anderson won. He would have blown up the Earth and the moon in the first episode. <laughs> Wasn't the dark side of the moon? The dark side of the moon is faces away from Earth. Correct. Doesn't which, it? which I uh, also it. that's the other thing. Dark side of the moon, right? Because it's the far side of the moon. I guess. It's, yeah, we were just as I, much light as anywhere. I else. thought to myself, oh, the dark side of the moon is the moon, the side that faces away from the sun. I mean, I guess that that's Pink Floyd cool, but yeah. I mean, it <laughs> oh, would be pretty cool if the moon crashed into the Earth, or if the moon crashed into Pink Floyd while they're like doing a concert. That'd be cool, for sure. In 1999. Oh yeah, September thirteenth. Yeah, because that's what happened. It would have, uh, yeah, it would have sent it careening towards the Earth. Technically, I mean, there's gravity. It could have slingshot it around. It would have just like you know exited orbit as we saw it here. But uh, that would also have required really. more complicated effects. So I, I'm it, actually, you know, I hate to Neil deGrasse Tyson all over this. <laughs> I, I doubt that any amount of nuclear explosion waste would make the moon fly out of orbit. Like especially would need... at a at a high speed you know yeah yeah it, it's like my first thought was like well it'll probably reach mars like 20 years or something like that 
we're going to be we're going to be reaching some black holes and stuff in the next few episodes so you know you know of course it has a little bit yeah you gotta gotta up that existential dread right just just flying away from earth with no hope of returning collins pilot collins he could have turned his eagle towards earth couldn't he sure because he's trapped in space when the moon leaves orbit so he goes back to moon base right I, does he regret? I guess he's going to regret that decision or not. It's, I don't know. It's never made clear whether like humans have done enough space flight in this continuity to be able to go and super far out into the solar system. It seems it probably seems they not. Can't. I mean, that's what the whole meta probes. Sorry, I said meta again. That's what the whole meta probes for, right? It's you can it's a, you can stop apologizing because that just draws it out more. Because <laughs> that's a craft that's supposed to be able to reach this somewhat nearby planet, where it seems the eagles are capable of making it from the moon to Earth and back. And I think later in the series, the eagles going to be able to make it to like planets and stuff, right? So eagles have a little bit of um, space legs, but probably you know, you know, like Star Trek shuttle craft, but less so, mm-hmm. I guess. But more than the two thousand one shuttles, yeah. which really can uh-huh. just have to go around the moon's surface. You know more than I do about this series. This is my first time. I've seen some of it. I remember just seeing a random couple of episodes of it, and Martin Landau was like yelling at people. That's all <laughs> I remember from this. That's and then it looked it's cool. I, it's ITV. It's Lou Grade. We need a lead that yells at people. <laughs> I want that. That's great. Um, both. I I think landau and bain are both good but it is amazing how little chemistry they have on screen together (laughs) they're just icy you know you really wait you really think that landau and bain don't have chemistry i mean they just i they had they were going so hard for a sci-fi iciness i don't know did you see differently than me i thought they i thought that it was like he just sort of looked at her and she seemed to just kind of melt a little bit (laughs) Okay, I mean, I guess she melts a little bit, but, but it's still pretty icy. Yeah, they've been on screen together for three years, so they probably have a shorthand and also possibly a little sick of working together. <laughs> and, um, and it, it had been several years since Mission Impossible, because that was like, what, 67, 68, 69? This is 75, so I, I, don't, I can't, don't know slash can't remember right? what they did in between. Um, is that right? Well, keep talking and I'll okay. figure out if that's I'm pretty sure. Sorry. And uh, I, I think one of the few kind of um, more serialized elements of this is their relationship growing over the course of this series. So mm-hmm. I, maybe they were intentionally being a little bit like formal with each other here. Like you said, there's a touch of melting. She does seem to explain with a little more candor than we had seen in her previous couple scenes. But it's 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 definitely. Well, yeah. It looks like uh, between Mission Impossible and Space 1999, Barbara Bain did Murder Once Removed, Good Night, My Love, Savage, A Summer Without Boys. Um, okay. I guess Martin Landau wasn't in that last one. He wasn't in the last one? <laughs> well. There's no boys. It's a summer without boys. Right? He's a man. Okay. Well, he had to be a boy before he was a man. Well, uh, um, what he did was... Somewhere do, without do, boys. Do, do, do. Is that the name? In one episode of Get Smart, he did Rosalino Paterno Soldato. Yeah, that came out smoothly. <laughs> they call me Mr. Tibbs, a town called Hell. Yeah. Welcome home, Johnny Bristol, 
Black Gun, one episode of Columbo. Savage, Strange Shadows in an Empty Room. Oh, he's got better titles, at least. I don't know about quality. He's got the man titles. He's got the man titles. That's right. Woman titles are for women, and man titles are for men. This is the <laughs> back when, back when those things were destroying our society. Uh, okay. How about uh, space <laughs> zombies? How do you feel about space zombies? Are these space <laughs> zombies awesome? Yeah, they're space zombies. They rule. But they only have like three minutes okay. of of zombieing before they just like go comatose. So that's that's kind of good because zombies actually are really terrible. So you only want a little of them. <laughs> you want them to show up a little bit and try and smash the window with their helmet and then die. <laughs> and the computer is gives you a all caps scary. Those computers scary in this. Well, it needs to be a director on the moon. Things are serious. <laughs> <laughs> And there's something about it talking and then also the, the words appear on the screen in all caps. That's like frightening. They, they played the decompression situation much better than in the last Jedi, right? They all got out in time. I even, I liked the, I liked the last Jedi. I love the last Jedi. I'm just saying they played the decompression. Princess Leia something to do. Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying filmmaking wise they did a better oh. job here. I'm just saying like practical wise they got everyone out of the room, including the zombie in time. You know. Yeah. Well, it's easy. I did find it interesting that they had like a fabricated nameplate for Sparkman on the on his monitor. <laughs> like it wasn't like just the computer said it. It was like someone had to actually fabricate that. It was like a a piece of metal put into a slot with his name on it, which seems weird for a terminal patient <laughs> that you just got. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm just picking well, it like nitpicking. They're just going to take it off the computer and put it onto his urn right after they're done. Oh, uh, yeah, that's practical. No, I love it's there. Don't get me wrong. I love mm. the fact it's there. It's just when I started thinking about it, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so do you know the taglines for the series? Uh, hit me with them. The future is fantastic. And an adventure as big as the universe. Okay. Both very inappropriate for this. Yeah, considering how much existential dread we're about to dip our heads into. (laughs) (laughs) For one thing, never, this is just a rule for everyone if you're writing anything, never invoke the universe. Just don't. Even uh, Star Trek generally confines itself to one quadrant of one galaxy. And that's with warp nine available to them don't invoke the universe well if you're going to fall through black holes and stuff who knows where you are you can say universe at that point no you're still probably going to be in the galaxy what about that in star trek the traveler took them to that place beyond space and time that that could have been the universe a different universe i don't know i'm gonna bet that it was still just between this galaxy and the next uh i'd look like we'd gone several super clusters away but uh Okay, maybe yeah, yeah, don't, a okay, few I, galaxies over. You're talking about you're talking about like hundreds of millions of galaxies. Yeah, the universe. Wait, billions? I, Sorry, is it billions? Billions, 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 billions and billions and Sagan, billions right. of billions of billions and billions of billions. Make sure you're Sagan and in it, in right? I guess billions uh, of bullions. Yeah, um, I definitely love the psychedelic hellscape of um. Long, uh, waste site one and then waste site two i thought that was that was cool <laughs> yeah everything looks great i'm maybe a little concerned that things will 
look cheaper and less cool after this, but it looked cool here. That's called season two, but uh, we'll get there when we get okay. to it. <laughs> I mean, they changed. Are there a lot more? Of things, so, can you tell me? Are there more zombies? Um, there's zombie type things. I, I think there's possessions, okay. dead things. You know, things that may or may not be dead. You know, okay. Possibly the ancient ones get involved. It's hard to tell, right? Ooh. Well, I mean, just in a metaphysical sense of the word. I mean, the, the one I mean, reason I'm so attracted to the show is it's a. I like science fiction. I like metaphysics. They don't often like cross heads much, you know, because uh, Star Trek always needs to have like the scientific explanation. In the end. I mean, it's kind of disingenuous if they don't because it's Star Trek. But this show can allow for a little more weird metaphysical ambiguity. I think. So you're are you saying that you think that the whole thing where the end of Deep Space Nine was just Bajorans shooting lasers at each other wasn't like didn't fit the star trek mold and it shouldn't have been how the show ended uh i I cisco and gold decott probably not and also this and then uh if you haven't also gold just hit a a head or two but um it was just like became a bajoran so he could like like bang kai win or something was that happened did that happen did i imagine that uh it was at least implied i I, they had a rocky relationship (laughs) but and then avi brooks wasn't happy because he correctly noted wait a minute you're having a the black father abandon his wife's son and unborn child that's not cool yeah yeah (laughs) and uh cisco and jake best relationship on the show possibly the best relationship on any star trek (laughs) (laughs) i mean it was seriously that's well i guess you so i guess the sad ending is still a good ending Okay, that's where I'm kind of putting in that maybe metaphysics and Trek doesn't work so well, whereas Space 1999 has, being not an established property, I mean, the most you could say is like it's kind of maybe probably not a, a second season of UFO, right? So, and UFO got plenty weird, so. Um, you, you, I have not seen can... UFO. Whoops. <laughs> that, Didn't that... know that existed until I was doing the trivia for this episode. Whoops. Yeah, I I am I only recently got myself into some UFO, so it, even for me it's pretty new, right? So I, I didn't know Danger Man existed until I started doing prisoner trivia. There's a lot of TV shows out there, and some of them are quite old. You know how many how many shows did Lucille Ball do? Can you just can you spit that out? One. No, there's here's Lucy. There's the Lucy show in 1985. She played an elderly homeless woman on the TV movie Stone Pillow. I mean, there's so much Lucy out there other than just I love Lucy, Wait, right? So was Stone Pillow a metaphor or did she actually have a stone pillow? I haven't I think it was a metaphor, but I, I imagine at some point she probably tries to go to sleep on concrete at least. Concrete's kinda like stone, right? Man. Lucy okay. was some Lucy was the best. She could do fifteen <laughs> shows if she wanted to. Yeah, well she didn't do it at the same time as but yeah, she had lots of shows. She could. Right? Just do them all like a big old conveyor belt of chocolates, just shoving TV shows in her mouth. Like a bunch of chocolates. I'm sure that's what happened. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So that's what Martin Lando and Barbara Vane were trying to do. They were trying to recreate the the chocolate machine of TV shows. And that resulted in Space 1999. That's where we are now, man. Lucy's Lucy's doing variety shows at this point. She's not in space anymore. Um. Now we're now we're. Uh, did you have any other like real observations you wanted to throw out on this one? Um, 
I got one more. By the way, but... you go. You go ahead. Okay. Um. Yeah. One, we got the Maya satellite, which is fun because Maya is going to be a character in season two. So just throwing that out. Um. Mm -hmm. And well, actually, this kind of is your point because you said it to me before we hit the record. Just like the weird, just dramatic weirdness. Practically, it makes sense, but the dramatic weirdness of uh Commander Koenig just saying, "Yep, we are not going back." We're going to yeah, fail was, if we try it. <laughs> I, did, I saw that. I spotted that in my notes. was about to mention it. That the computer says, I don't know what to do. Human decision required. And he says, we don't. Because <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I don't know if it went dun, 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 or if I'd put that yeah. in my notes. But yeah, I think it did. Because would Commander Adama have made that decision? I, well, I guess he kind of did because they went running from the Cylons in Battlestar. Um, mm. Picard and Kirk would have would have tried to go back. I'm, even though failure seemed mm. imminent, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's not Star Trek captains don't they don't surrender ever generally, which is fine. Which is fine as long as you write the plot like it rewards. They get rewarded for doing it. <clears throat> but he, he um, follows. He follows. You know, Yoda logic, right? Do or do not do. There is no try. So he's like, we're not going to try because we cannot do. So like that thing when Yoda just gave up at the end of episode three because there was no way to, because they couldn't just write something where he actually went into exile without him like trying to fight the Emperor and losing, not mm. losing, just giving up. I always yeah. hated that. That was well, like one of my least favorite things about that movie. That's, that's a pretty controversial opinion, not liking the prequels, man. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry, Eagles, if you're going to defend the prequels to me. Um Yes, that that was refreshing because it's realistic. And also what was realistic is you see a news report about, oh, the Earth is being destroyed because the moon left. That's something that I think gets left out. I think that would get left out of a lot of versions of this. And they're just like, yeah, actually, uh, Earth sucks now. And now they have too much the atomic waste as well. Yep. Yeah, we where are we going to do our waste? Yeah. Um, I... I expected we were going to hear a bunch of stuff about the tides, but I guess, you know, earthquakes. Yeah, sure. That makes sense, too. That that rates, that takes. He mentioned both, I think. Oh, did he mention tides? Okay. I mean, earthquakes would be more noticeable, I guess, just straight away. So He said gravity disruption and earthquakes. Um, okay. Well, that's not yeah. saying tides. It's saying gravity disruption. Okay. Right? But uh, yeah, also I guess don't that... believe that survive anyone survived from the moon. Right, but, but everyone which, survived. Well, not everyone, but three hundred eleven people. Three eleven, yeah. man, must be worth it. Yes, the magic number. <laughs> the best Never band forget. ever. <laughs> well, let's let's just search for an AMV of three eleven with space. Is it? It's not an AMV if it's live action. What does that mean? Hey, when FFB? I was in high school, lots of my classmates thought three eleven was the best band ever. I just didn't agree with them. <laughs> I hmm. don't, the last don't. time there's a friend of mine who skipped my birthday to go see 311. <laughs> I wish <laughs> not I, your friend that anymore. Kind of, that kind of mad. I wish I hadn't, but I still don't understand it. At least it I wasn't understand like, skipping church to see 311. Is this still your friend? Uh, I don't think they really want anything to do with me, but okay. What if not I because mean, of that? What, what if they had? What if they had skipped your birthday to see Nickelback? Would that have been more raw? That's at least funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's I mean, cool. 
I yeah, I don't think we really have much in common, but um, like it was some something where they moved back into town and we didn't hang out at all and then they moved away again. Okay. So um, probably we don't have anything in common. This being our first episode, I'm I'm not entirely sure this is how how we're gonna put the question, but I kind of threw it out and we I don't think we've ever saw it come down to a different one yet. So let's let's work out how much of this is sci-fi fun and how much of it is existential dread. Um I kind of like the idea of doing it with percentages, which I'm going to put this one like 80% fun and 20% dread, because I know where we're going. You you might have a different take. <laughs> um, but this is the thing. I think that I don't, I don't think that I feel dread the same way that you feel dread. Yeah, that's kind of why very I'm anxious. I'm a very anxious person. So like I just saw the movie Bo is Afraid, which now is afraid? probably... This is probably out on streaming for a while by the time you're hearing this. But the best way I could describe that is like, what if you were an incredibly paranoid person to the point of just not being capable of living your life, but everything that you were afraid of happening was happening. So it's stuff happens like he's walking to his apartment and a guy starts just like chasing him with a knife and he looks outside and there are people stabbing everyone and <laughs> there are deadly spiders in his apartment and then it's the thing where he like leaves his key in the door and someone steals it immediately. <laughs> and then he goes, he goes outside to try and do something. And then everyone who's out on the street, all stabbing each other, all run into his apartment building and are all in his apartment, destroying things. And this happens in like the first 10 minutes of the film. Are you trying to say like, this is a sci-fi version of that? No, I was going to say that I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I enjoy, I thought it was very, very funny movie where, where terrible things constantly happen. Is that Bo um, Bridges? Is he afraid? No, I mean he probably is, but that no, it's Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. Um, Oscar-worthy performance again from Joaquin Phoenix. That's all he does apparently. <laughs> um, but anyway, I I'd say this is like ninety percent fun and ten percent dread. Okay, that's <laughs> this cool. Is pretty because the dread is fun. There's just zombies that are like nuclear zombies like come on that's <laughs> yeah oh well, we're I... on a bomb the whole time there's just a, the whole thing's a bomb like it's just hilarious no i thought also, you were about like... to go the opposite direction to be honest so i, I i'm curious yeah i think it's fun think... that you went more fun than i did i think this is what i don't know it's like if you live with constant anxiety and fear then anything um it's like anything fictional that is absurd is automatically fun if that makes okay. any sense well yeah so well, well I, I i maybe we will we'll keep the question because now i'm really con uh not concerned really interested if uh later on you're gonna find like certain situations fun <laughs> yes i'm i'm interested i'm excited um i i'll try to think of a an example of something that i would th find uh Dread, dready, dready, dreadly, 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 something dreadly. Okay, like we were talking about Deep Space Nine, um, the episode where Nog is just depressed in the holodeck in like Vegas or whatever for the whole time. Right. That was pretty. It's only sad. a paper moon. I'm that was a dread, title game. dready. That was dready. Okay. Okay. I thought the baseball episode was fun. Oh yeah, that one's fun. See, That's I'm not a fair more... comparison. Yeah. 
I mean, is there more dread in the uh, episode where he loses his leg, which you know is one or two earlier, right? So, is, I is, think that's almost imminent, equal. Okay, I was just saying imminent fear versus a slow decline, right? So, I think well, when you see him lose his leg, your immediate reaction is probably like, "Yeah, I just get another leg." So, space in this episode, just bring it back, space zombies, and we're sitting on a bomb is like you know imminent fear where blasting out of earth's orbit on the moon is kind of like a, a a slow burn dread right yes i mean much like the midnight sun episode of twilight zone that we talked about many many months ago <laughs> um but I, I guess that's where i i really did like the uh the last broadcast they get because it seems like they're not that far it's like earth's range really isn't that far in 1999 well although it's or, more than ours was but <laughs> maybe their maybe their broadcast range is much farther yeah yeah because we got contact we're just spiraling out forever that's pretty cool but the, the signal obviously degrades so we get the static here right you know i think that part of my lack of dread is that i cannot help kind of neil degrasse tysoning it where i'm like they can't be going that fast that'd be ridiculous <laughs> well like, I, I, honestly I, I they didn't spend a whole lot of time like showing a moon that was like flying with speed lines because they probably just didn't have the tech to even do that. Like it was, I thought it was, cool, I thought it was cool where on screen it's not moving fast, but you know, it's like, you know, it's in space. So, you know, it, it is going fast ish. It looks great. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to turn this into like a thing where I'm criticizing how fast it seems the moon is going, but I did not feel like I understood how fast the moon is going. Okay, no, that's fair enough for sure. Um, I guess. And also, even knowing that the moon was going to do what it did, still is kind of surprising. Like, I mean, it was the thing where the 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 episode kind of moved at a pace where I forgot what we were building up to. I wasn't sitting there the whole time being like, "Whoa, when's the moon going to go?" Even though the credits tell you that to start with, but of course, I mean, it's called a breakaway. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> like it's not like they were really trying to like you know make it like a non-spoiler thing right i mean that's the that is the to the show's credit i think that foreshadow excessive foreshadowing is a hack writing technique yeah for sure so this just throws you into the proper action oh wait that does happen okay there we go mm -hmm. <laughs> um i guess we'll wrap it up today so uh we mark uh, and i are doing this Far in the past, you're hearing it far in the future. In 19, you're probably in the future of 1999 by now. Um, but yes, yeah, so now you've probably had the experience the re-election of President Trump. <laughs> uh, you're still too early for that, by the way. I, well, unless certain <laughs> things, unless happening. we really get crazy. <laughs> um, That's a dumb attempt at meta humor. Just think of how I said absurd it. it would have sounded in 1999. Yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> On Twitter, I don't know Facebook. if I wouldn't have believed it in 1999. It was a cynical time. It was the 90s. Remember, everybody was all edgy, listening to 311, skateboarding. Mm. But uh, Twitter, Facebook, we should be able to get away with uh, podcast 1999. Uh, you know, if if not, you know, do, search for that it. search. Do a search. We're also search on Patreon it. at Podcastio Podcastius. You can find our other podcasts there. Uh, Mark and I occasionally talk about the Twilight Zone on Time Enough podcast. We're always talking about great films and, well, apparently great films and apparently terrible films on films and filth, the citizen cane of podcasting. There's a call at Disney. I talk about Disney. There's games. 
Luke loves Pokemon. You can guess what that's about. Hyrule Field Report is about Zelda, and the Game Game Show is gamers gaming each other because they hate the players, not the games. Power to the not to the players. Power not to the players. Power not to the players. <laughs> that that was our chuck. fun marketing slogan from 1999. Then you threw a fun bomb squad beat behind that, and you're good to go. Not in the game. <laughs> Nothing's in the game. Okay, well... Uh, let's light that fire and uh, head out Earth orbit then. Break away and go touch grass. Break Eagles. away who died lonely life. You can do what you want to do from the Earth on the moon. Wake away on the boot. Break, break. Of iron, I'm 